0: Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching and may the Lord richly bless you. We've been working through the book of Ephesians. Paul was writing This letter to the Ephesian church to encourage unity uh, within the church. uh, Chapters 1 through 3 is really laying a a framework for that. And 4 through 6, he begins to put some real practical legs on what it means to live in unity with one another. The immediate context of this book is in its focus towards the uniting of Jews and Gentiles in worship together. The context for us as we look at this passage and as we look at Paul's writing, the principles that we are able to see and apply to our own life is that God desires a unified church for his glory, that we have to work at unity. We have to focus on being unified for the glory of God. Now we hear that term unity bantered back and forth, bantered about uh, within church circles, non-church circles. Uh, The periphery of the church, liberal churches often talk quite a lot about what it means to be in unity. And unity is accepting everyone just like they are, not expecting any change, not expecting any growth, not expecting any movement. And that is not the idea of true biblical unity. In fact, Paul begins this particular passage saying, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner. I implore you to move, not to stay where you are, but implore you to move in a direction toward the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Movement. That's what your life should be and my life should be as a believer in Jesus Christ. That word implore means I am pleading with you. I am strongly urging you for your good. I have your best interest at heart. I am imploring you to walk, to behave, to live, to conduct your life in a way that will bring glory and honor to Jesus. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Moving forward into the alignment with your calling. Now that calling that you and I have, that calling first and foremost, while there may be specific callings that you have on your life, the universal calling for a Christian is to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Now, I, uh, this, every, uh, (laughs) My kids will tell you that lots of experiences that I have throughout the week are things that they kind of form into a sermon illustration. Sometimes that puts them on the spot. Sometimes it's other experiences, but I think God is always teaching us. God is always showing us, and we ought to learn lessons uh, from life. So this week I had uh, the opportunity to do something I hadn't really ever done before, and that was to go trail biking, and it was uh, a lot of fun. Now, if you've seen some of these sports, I didn't, you know, it wasn't so extreme, but for a guy my age and with my uh, unathletic ability, uh, it, was, uh, it was fun, but I knew I could come back with something broken. And so there were a couple of brothers who began talking to me about it, and one brother said, I said, I don't have a bike, I don't have gear, I had to go buy a helmet. He said, I've got a bike. I'm going to get it right for you, and he did that. He uh, got a bike together. He said, I've adjusted the handlebars for you. He adjusted the seat for me and made it just good uh, for uh, an old guy to get on and to pedal who hadn't had much exercise. And so before we even got to the trail, there was preparation being made. There were five of us that went. I was the oldest. Uh, Most of them were a whole lot younger than me. And so we started out, and particularly two of the brothers were very concerned about my (laughs) well-being. Staying along the path with me. And then as things went on, three of the guys wanted to go a little faster and roll down the path. And so they went faster, were kind of up ahead. And one of the more experienced guys, he stayed on the path. I said, I'll follow you. Was just ahead of me he had experience he'd done this for a good portion of his life he was on the path ahead of me he was constantly looking back over his shoulder making sure I was okay giving me some tips how to how to be on the pedals how to hold the handlebars uh, what to avoid in the path because the path was narrow it wasn't a wide path it was a very narrow path the path had roots and the path had rocks and there was place places where the path had mud, and there was places where horses had traveled that path, and they had left some evidence of their traveling. <laughs> and when we would get to that space, he'd say, avoid that. Watch out. <laughs> you know, I thought, and I told him as we were pedaling down those paths, I said, this is a sermon illustration in the making. <laughs> because our path that we have before the Lord is a narrow way. And sometimes there's things along the path that can try to trip us up. And sometimes there's things that Satan might throw in your path that don't smell so good, that you've got to avoid. You've got to keep out of. But your goal is to follow who's leading you. For us as believers, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Following Jesus ahead of the path. My eyes stayed close to the path in the back tire of that brother. I wanted to follow where he was going. I wanted to see when he leaned over and he avoided a rock, or he moved away and he avoided a root, or he went on a specific path through the mud that had already been plowed before, or he moved over and he avoided what the horse had left behind. I wanted to watch where he was going. And this is the pathway of the Christian life, and what God wants to do for you and for me He wants us to follow that path in such a way that we build unity together. I can tell you I wasn't throwing rocks at the guy ahead of me. I wasn't saying he didn't know what he was doing. I knew he was more experienced. I knew he had been down this path before. I knew he knew where to lead me. And I knew that he was the one that was going to get me out okay. Unity in the Christian life is really important. It's important because God exists in unity. So much so that when we talk about the concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can't even begin to fully understand what that even looks like because there's such unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no division. They are in such unity that that we we say we, we serve one God in three persons. And we still can't even wrap our mind around that. I've known of no theologian who can fully explain the concept of what it means to, for God to exist in Trinity, and yet we see it in the scriptures. We see God moving, we see Jesus walking on the earth, we see the Holy Spirit coming down. We see Paul speak about praying to all three at the same time. We see God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. God exists in unity, and there we must also, therefore, we must also exist in unity. A brother allowed me to accompany him a few months ago to a conference, and one of the sessions at that conference was on the subject of unity. And on that subject of unity, it put two things together that I hadn't really put together before. The idea of unity and the idea of deliverance. That deliverance brings unity. I think, why did Jesus come on the earth? The Bible says that Jesus has come to set at liberty the captives. Jesus has come to set at liberty the captives, and yet Jesus' whole push, his whole thrust was to bring glory to God. So he's wanting to exalt God by bringing the church, delivering the church from bondage so that the church could be in unity. He even prayed in John 17, I pray that they are one even as we are one. Unity. I was reading in the Gospel of Matthew, and if you'll turn there real quickly, Matthew chapter 8 and 9. If you begin at chapter 8, what's interesting is how Matthew puts this together, and you look at the stories and what is going on. Chapter 8, he cleanses the leper. Peter's mother-in-law and others are healed. Jesus casts out demons. Chapter 9, a paralytic is healed. Miracles of healing, chapter 9, verses 18, the woman with the issue of blood, the synagogue, synagogue official's daughter is healed, and the healing of the demon-possessed mute man. And then Jesus goes down in verse 35 of chapter 9 It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease, and every kind of sickness. So that is chapter 8 and chapter 9, is healings, deliverances, God's power on display through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verses 36, 37, and 38 says this, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were not unified seeing the other people, that they were distressed and dispirited. They were not unified. They were not focused. Jesus had compassion on them. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, But the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Part of what I think the Lord is getting at here, at least as I prayed over these passages of Scripture and these verses of Scripture, and we're thinking about what they might mean and why is that. Particular passage put at the end of chapter 9, after the healings and the deliverances and the releasing of the captives and other things. And then Jesus observing that the, uh, the, the multitudes are like sheep without a shepherd, that Jesus wants to bring unity into his church. And one of the ways that Jesus will bring unity to his church is by releasing the captives from bondage. Unity, praying that God would set the captives at liberty. As a pastor, as I kind of think about the gospel, and over years and years of walking with people and hearing stories and being part of a relationship with Individuals. one of the things that I've prayed to God over and over is that, God, you will help us to set at liberty the captives. Whether it's bondages of the mind, bondages of the heart, whether it is addictions, whether it is healings. God, what we see in Scripture, what we read in the Bible... God, I can't believe, I see no passage in Scripture, no doctrine that we can pull out that says it doesn't happen. But what I also know is that the enemy is at work, and the enemy knows that you are walking along a path. He knows there is a narrow path ahead of you. The enemy knows that you're trying to stay on the path. The enemy knows that you're trying to follow the Lord who has uh, gone on this path ahead of you. And the enemy is going to try to throw things in your way. And what happens when the enemy throws things in your way, if you succumb to it, it brings disunity in the body of Christ. Now, you may say, hey, I'm not fussing at anyone. I've just got my private thing going on here. But I'm not fussing and upset at anyone. What I want you to know is it breaks the unity of the Spirit. See, when I come in on Sunday morning, if my wife and I have been fussing like cats and dogs, it breaks the unity of the Spirit. You may not know anything about it. We come in, we can put on some good faces. And we can act like everything's okay. But if there's disunity here, there's disunity here. If I'm angry with my kids, and that's what my Sunday, I've stepped right in what the enemy left for me. And I come to church smelling like I stepped in it. And the Holy Spirit smells it. We have a responsibility to be on guard. We have a responsibility to walk in unity. Paul says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Moving towards a goal. Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul was a literal prisoner of the Lord. He was in prison. He did not have the opportunity for someone to come fix him steak and potatoes on a plate and bring it for him to feast on. He was in pain. He was in agony. He was in difficulty. And he said, in this moment of my need, in this moment of my challenge, I implore you to move forward in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which you have been called. He's not whining. He's not complaining. He's not bitter. He's not throwing rocks. The apostle Paul is saying, hey, church, pick it up and walk forward in the manner in which you have been called. I realize and understand that there are times when we get knocked down. I know there are times when you're on the trail and you're trying to pedal and you hit something and that something knocks you off and knocks you flat on your back. It knocks you down. And you wonder, can I even ever get up? And what I want to encourage you is you cannot lay there. You cannot stay stagnant. You cannot just petrify in the way. You have got to try to crawl to move forward. And the beauty of what we've been talking about, when we become in unity with one another, when we love one another, and we're willing to walk with one another, we're willing to see one another, we're willing to know where one another is and have a relationship with one another, the beauty of that is that when you fall or I fall, someone is there to say, hey, come on and get up. Come on and follow along. I'm going to help you. You don't have to lay alone. But this is exactly what I have seen so many times. Here I am in the rut. Here I am in the floor. Someone comes along to help me along. Oh, I'll be on. Go on. I'm coming. Go on. This is how y'all get up in the morning. Go on. You isolate yourself. You're going to lay in the rut. And you're just telling people, keep on going. And somebody's there trying to say, I'm going to help you. I want to help you. I want to help you. And you say, roll on. Roll on. That is not the way the body of Christ is to operate. The way the body of Christ is to operate and the way this body of Christ is going to operate, we're not going to let you say roll on. If we have to drag you into glory, we're going to do it. <laughs> we're not going to let you petrify That's the beauty of church discipline. Oh, nobody wants to talk about church discipline anymore. Nobody wants to talk about what it means for a church to exercise discipline. But the, the word of the Lord says he disciplines those whom he loves. When my children were younger, we did spankings. We spanked. And I would tell them after they got a spanking, I'm spanking you because I love you. Because I know that if I don't discipline you, if I don't chastise you for what you have done, that you will become unruly and give yourself in to the youthful things that kids do. You've got to be chastised because I've got to keep you in the path. Because when you're not in the path, it brings disunity to our home. If you're in Christ, move toward the calling of biblical unity by doing things that create and sustain biblical unity. We become unified with others in our pursuit of Christ. We're seeking after the Lord together, united in Christ together. A calling to unity in the body of Christ requires us to move forward in such a way that in this church, unity is perpetuated so that the church universal continues to exalt and glorify the Lord. The pathway to unity, and Paul describes that in verses 2 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul encourages us to move forward in our calling of unity by exemplifying the virtues of humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance and love. Humility. Humility does not mean to see yourself as some pitiful excuse for humanity. Humility means that you see yourself as God sees you with infinite and inherent value, but with no more value than anyone else. In other words, when you look around the room, you're no better than no one else, but you're also no worse than anyone else. It means being willing to accept God as the authority over your life rather than insisting on being your own supreme authority. It means that you are willing to order your life in such a way to serve God by serving others. When all Christians do that, everyone's needs are met by others in a context of harmony and love. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. Gentleness. Gentleness or meekness essentially means power under control. Being meek. Take this week, your homework. I'm going to be meek this week. And come back at the end of the week and tell me that you didn't have to exercise power to keep it under control. Being meek is power under control. War horses in the ancient world went into battle trained to protect their masters. They were under the total and instantaneous control of the rider, and the war horses were described as being meek. Their strength was under total control. Moses was described as the meekest man who ever lived. And yet, he was one of the great, dynamic, and charismatic leaders who was willing to challenge the power of the throne of Egypt. His strength stood under the control of the Lord. Humility, gentleness, or meekness, patience. Patience is believing in God's timetable, no matter what it is. Patience does not always come quickly for us, but it is a character of those who are maturing in Christ. When we have the proper expectation of God to move, patience is the result. Patience. Waiting on the Lord. When you look at the story of Noah, God told Noah to build an ark. Far from anybody of water. No water around. For a hundred years he worked on it. Faithfulness. When it rained, Noah received the promise and the fruit of his obedience. Moses waited 40 years between the time he gained his burden to de- deliver the children of Israel and the time in which that burden was fulfilled, when he moved it into action. Patience. Scripture doesn't teach that if I'm patient now, maybe the Lord will see that I've learned my lesson and will give me what I want sooner. I've been patient for a week, Jesus. Move. No, God's time, that's what patience is, waiting on God's time, waiting for God to move. Patience, waiting for God to act when, where, and how he chooses. And finally, in that series, Tolerance and Love, to put up with the faults and differences of those who are pursuing Christ with us, showing tolerance in love. Again, we have to be careful because our culture often co-ops biblical language. Unity, tolerance, and love. You could hear that in a political stump speech. But that's not what the scriptures mean when it speaks about these things. They must be put in the rightful context, showing tolerance for one another in the bonds of brotherhood, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The beauty of this is that Christ has already given this unity to his church, and it is ours to help preserve it. Unity is when we seek to make peace with one another. I want to tell you, that's hard. It's hard. It's not some easy thing because sometimes our minds begin to cycle. And we know that there has been something that has brought difficulty and challenge. And yes, we need to set boundaries at times. And yes, those are important. But what we have to be careful to do is not allow a seed of bitterness to develop in our heart. Where we wake up in the morning six months after an event, we say, I still can't believe that happened. They still did that to me. God, why aren't you doing something? God, why aren't you putting them in their place? God, I've been patient for six months. And they're still acting like everything's just wonderful. Faithfulness. Verses 4 through 6, we get the example of unity, which is found in the unity of the Godhead, as I mentioned earlier. What Paul is asking us to work out day to day in Our lives as believers is an example of what already exists through the Godhead. We should pursue unity with others in the body of Christ because there is only one body of Christ. Where else are you going to go? Who else are you going to look to if not to the Lord? We may be separated by culture and language and geography, but there is simply one beautiful body of Christ that will will forever be a testimony to the power of God to reach to the uttermost. In your life and in my life, people may say things that are different from how we would put them. They may do things that are not like us, but God is calling you and I to focus on the main thing are so many things that could we could focus on to divide us. If you look around this room this morning, you're gonna see people from different countries, people who speak different languages, people who look differently, people who act differently, people who eat. Differently, And what God is saying is just like when they uh, did that beautiful dance to that song in Spanish. And I would venture to say maybe a majority of us in this room did not fully understand all the words. But by God's spirit, he works through us in order to say yes and amen to what is happening in our midst. Because we can be in unity even when we don't fully comprehend everything that is being said. I can be in unity with you and what God is calling you to do as long as you are walking on the path. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Jesus is Lord over his church. He is the only one who died and who has risen again. Jesus alone has the right to the church's allegiance. There is no other Lord. There is no other Savior. And we are united under one King, and his name is Jesus. And it is faith in that one King, Jesus, that saves us. Not faith in works, not faith in good people, not faith in myths and fables, but faith in Jesus and his work on the cross is sufficient to save you and me And that is what we will unite around. There is one baptism. There is one entrance into the church. And it is through the waters of baptism. No, I do not believe that baptism as a work saves you. The confession of your mouth, the belief in your heart saves you. But if you have not been baptized, you have not passed through the waters of baptism, you're in disobedience. You're in disobedience. You say, I love Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Yes, Jesus, I love you. I believe in my heart. I've told other people I love you, but I don't understand why I have to embarrass myself in that water. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't understand that. Why do I have to embarrass myself and get wet in front of everybody and step out of that looking like a soaking wet dog? Maybe not you. Carly gets it. Thank you, Carly. I can always count at least one person to laugh at my jokes. It's because she loves me. (laughs) You're going to be baptized because in obedience to the commands of Christ. We're going to follow the path of obedience to what the scriptures say. And in order to preserve unity, we're going to be obedient, whether we fully understand it or not. I believe that baptism is a symbolic work of the work that Christ has already done in our heart at the moment of confession, when we confess and we believe what Jesus said, repent and be baptized. The scriptures in the New Testament, repent and be baptized. Over and over and over again, that is what we hear. Repent and be baptized. The mode of baptism in the New Testament was immersion. It wasn't sprinkling. It wasn't halfway in. Halfway out, the mode of baptism in the New Testament was baptism by immersion. And it was by those who had confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you were baptized as an infant, you need to be, I believe, baptized after your confession of faith. When you're able to make a confession of faith and say that Jesus is Lord of my life. That was the mode in the New Testament, We're a New Testament church will follow the scriptures according to the New Testament. Because I believe even in acting baptism by immersion, what are we locking arms with? The church universal. The church universal that today in churches across the world, across the country, they're baptizing by immersion. In other countries, they're doing it back in the woods where nobody can see because it's under threat of life, baptism by immersion. Yes, I understand child baptism. We'll talk about that another time. But the New Testament pattern is baptism by immersion. And as one of the pastors of this congregation, I want to affirm to you that if you've not been baptized by immersion in water, I believe you're walking in disobedience. Is that important? that important? Two Sundays from now, we're going to have baptism. Is it in the plug for baptism? I haven't planned on saying it but I believe it's the word of the Lord to you. You need to follow what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He submitted himself to John the Baptist to be baptized by immersion in water. And it was affirmed by God through the descent of the Holy Spirit and the voice of God that said, this is my son, follow him. Unity in the church. You know, we all get our feelings hurt. Hey, I've got my feelings hurt in church. Someone prayed, I think it was you, Brother Mike, who prayed this morning. You prayed about unity in the church in terms of people who have come and been hurt by the church at times. I've had my feelings hurt by the church. If we stood, we'd all be standing, wouldn't we? Somebody's been hurt one time or another or another or another because we're all people. We're all people, we're all imperfect people. But imperfect people have to have a plan. And that plan is we have to follow this as our manual. We have to live according to the scriptures. And I'm going to tell you that you have to be willing to make it right If it, as much as it resides in you. As much as it resides in you. And if you carry the seeds of bitterness, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. I've walked with people who have carried the seeds of bitterness for 50 and 60 years of things that happened long, long ago there is a pathway to deliverance. There is a place of deliverance. There is a place where God can touch you and there will be transformation. We're gonna close in just a moment. We have been uh, wonderfully experiencing God's presence here. And there are a lot of things that come into play the first thing that we can think about is uh, we've been blessed with a new uh, minister of music and his family uh, who is uh, skilled and able. And we can say, that's what's doing it. And this brother would say, nope, it's not. He would be the first one to say it because I've learned his heart. But what I want you to know is from, what was it? Christmas Eve in 2019 at your all's house Christmas Eve in 2019 at Tom and Cora Boucher's house, I wasn't there, there began a, a unified push. There began a unified push of a few people who said, we're hungry. And so they began pushing because we're hungry. And that push gets compounded over time. That got compounded through the pandemic and compounded Uh, Through moving into this facility and compounded throughout the team and compounded by you moving here and compounded by God bringing us into unity over searching after that one thing. That one thing that God breaks in, that's what we want, don't we? Don't we want God to break in among us? Don't we want God to do things? Don't we want God to deliver? Don't we want God to heal? Aren't we longing after that? Because the Scripture says if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're going to be filled. And we're people of the book. We believe the book. We believe what the book says. And now God is bringing us into unity in order to seek after. And what is happening? What is happening is there's a, a push and a push and a push. And What we're beginning to see is some of the fruits of the pushing forward for what God wants to accomplish. The human nature is, I want to show up on Sunday morning, and I want it all to happen right now. Shower me, Jesus. And then we go home, and it's essentially just like it was before, and we thought, God is not going to do it. But what we don't realize, what God is doing is he's bringing unity in this group, unity in our hearts, and he's moving us forward step by step. And what we have to do is be patient. Be patient for the move of God. You're struggling today. You're down in the gutter. You're falling down in, in the path. You need to start crawling your way and be patient and let some other people start pulling you along but be patient for what God is doing because God's bringing unity in our church because he wants to pour out a spirit. And I can stand here and I will affirm to you, we had a healing and deliverance service a few weeks ago this past Friday night in prayer. It was a wonderful move of God, one of the most simplistic services, I think that we've uh, planned, but just uh, praying and singing together and God moved in such a mighty way and it was another push forward, another move forward. And there's coming a day where I know that God, because he's doing it, God's going to break in. And we're going to see there's going to be people who are delivered. There'll be people who are healed. There'll be people who are transformed. There are going to be people who are once in sin who are going to come out of sin. There are going to be people who are once in darkness who are going to come out of darkness because God's put it in our heart and we're unified in our pursuit of it. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. I want to be worthy of the calling. The calling is not for you to stay where you are in your iniquity and sin. That's not the calling. That's not the power of God. The power of God is to raise you up, to deliver you, so that one unified voice raises to God the Father in exaltation to him. Yes, in this world you will have tribulation or struggle and challenge. But be of good cheer because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning as we seek the Lord together. Deliverance and breakthrough for the purpose of unity. Deliverance and breakthrough for the purpose of unity. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. If you are struggling this morning, you're wondering, is there hope for me? I want you to understand there is hope for you today. There is deliverance for you. There's peace in your heart, peace in your mind. God is able to do it. God will do it. God will strengthen you. I want you to understand that as sure as I'm standing here this morning, that God will move. God will move. God will move. But God in his sovereignty is calling us to humility, to patience, tolerance and love, As we see him move in this place and in people's lives, I'm going to ask you to stand with me.